we all have times where we worry about the future. We're fearful of what tomorrow may bring. Reminds me of a story of a time before expectant fathers were allowed in the delivery rooms as their wives gave birth. And in the waiting room of a Minneapolis hospital, three new dads nervously paced and smoked and snacked while they anxiously awaited the news from beyond the swinging double doors. The nurse nurse comes rushing in and announced to the first father that he was now the proud father of two beautiful twins. And with a huge smile, he says, that's quite a coincidence. I play for the Minnesota Twins. A few minutes later, another nurse comes in and announces to the second father, your wife has just given birth to triplets. That's amazing, he exclaimed. I work for 3M. At this point, the third man passes out and falls out of the chair. The nurse runs over and, and quickly attends to the man. And as he came to, she's like, are you right, sir? All right, sir. Are you feeling ill? And he says, no, but I work for 7UP. Needless to say, his stress levels are just shot through the roof. We live in a day and age when stress and anxiety have reached epidemic levels, right? And that's before the COVID pandemic. And since the year 2020, anxiety-related disorders have gone up by 25%. Now, we all get stressed out at times, but it is alarming how often worry cripples our ability to live life. 43% of adults suffer negative health effects that come from acute worry. And did you know that half of all people in America's hospitals can also be diagnosed as chronic warriors? 75% of all visits to primary care doctors is in some way stress-related. 275 million workdays are lost every year to worry-related absenteeism. And worry plays a huge role in the fact that 31 million Americans suffer from insomnia. It's estimated that worry costs us around $44 billion annually. And against all of this, the, the best that, that we can do is to, to help manage your stress. Right? Worry management is big business in this country. Right? You can can see a psychiatrist or a counselor to help you cope with your anxieties. You can attend a mental health conference to develop worry management skills. You can, you can listen to CDs or, or read books to, to help keep your anxiety levels in check. Now, a lot of people speculate and pontificate about why worry is so ingrained in modern life. But did you know there is an ancient answer to this seemingly contemporary problem? A dozen times in the Gospels, Jesus says, do not worry. 17 times he says, do not be afraid. In fact, that is the most frequent command in Scripture. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Defeating worry becomes possible as we grow closer to Jesus. 
Now, we find Jesus' most extensive teaching on the subject of worry right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And three times in just 10 verses, Jesus tells us not to worry. Here's what we read in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And who of you, by worrying, can, can add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his uh, splendor was dressed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, these verses are really just a continuation of what Jesus had to say about not storing up your treasures on earth. Because when you look at the things that we typically worry about, it's most often the, the treasures that we store on earth. We, in fact, we worry more about money and possessions than anything else. And we worry about adding hours or losing hours from our lives. We worry about tomorrow and what will it bring or won't it bring. But if what our Savior says here is true, the key to overcoming worry, uh, especially our worries about our earthly treasures, is not getting more of it. It's something else. And three times in this passage, Jesus says, do not worry. And this is a command. He, he doesn't say, try not to worry, or it's better if you don't worry, or, or worry a little less. Right? But he says this is a command, and, and that assumes that, that this is possible. Jesus doesn't think that worry is an inevitable part of life. In fact, Jesus sees it as a sin, and not worrying is a matter of, of faithfulness and obedience. He sees worry as something that, with God's help, we can defeat. Now, in this text, Jesus gives us three reasons why worry doesn't work, and he also gives us three remedies to help you and I overcome worry. And the first reason that worry always fails us is that worry distracts us from what matters most. Worry has a way of taking our eyes off of what is most important and keeping them on things that ultimately don't really matter. 
Here's what he says in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. And here it is. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Jesus is saying that there is more to life than the things that we usually worry about. So why should we spend so much time worrying about these other things when that time and that energy would be better spent elsewhere? And why do we spend all this, this energy worrying about things that we really can't do anything about anyway? And then we don't really have the energy we need for those things for which we really need it. When we worry, we can't see what we need to see. According to the Bureau of Standards, a, a dense fog that covers a seven-city block, a hundred feet deep, is composed of about one glass of water divided into to 60,000 million drops. Right? There's not much there, but it can bring a city to a standstill. And this is exactly what worry does. It takes what is in the grand scheme of things, something that's not really that much, but it breaks it down into such minuscule little particles. It clouds our view of everything. And so it keeps us from seeing what we really need to see. Now, Jesus' remedy for the distraction of worry is to, well, remember what matters most, right? Just remind yourself Here's what's most important. Here is what the priorities are. So keep in front of your mind what's more important than what you will eat, what you will drink, and what you will wear. All right, those, those earthly treasure concerns. Money can't get us most of the things in life that are really important. In my files, I have this, this piece. It's anonymous. But it says, money can buy a bed, but it cannot buy sleep. Money can buy amusements, but it cannot buy happiness. Money can buy companions, but it cannot buy friends. Money can buy books, but it cannot buy brains. Money can buy a house, but it cannot buy a home. Money can buy medicine, but it cannot buy health. Money can buy flattery, but it cannot buy respect. I was reading an interview with Sylvester Stallone. And he was asked about the effect that money had on his life. Here's what he says. This is interesting. I just wish I could do a Sylvester Stallone voice. Money does not bring peace of mind. Actually, it brings more problems. Everything is magnified 100,000 times. Now, that's not to complain, but once you've made a fortune, you'd think it would be all green lights and blue skies, but that's not true. As a matter of fact, it brings out some of the most vile characteristics that you can imagine. Well, Jesus says that the greatest things in life aren't material, they're not physical, they're spiritual. In verse 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. Now, that is both a command and a promise. First, the command is to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Now, his kingdom is his rule in human hearts. 
And we seek that kingdom by growing in our own relationship with God and letting him rule in our own hearts, as well as leading others to have that same relationship with him. And of course, God's righteousness is, is living our lives in accordance with God's will and truth. But Jesus follows this command up with, I think, a tremendous promise. If we seek first the, the things of, well, first importance, we'll get that other stuff thrown on as a bonus. Now, this, this isn't a promise of material wealth and luxurious prosperity. I believe it's a promise of what Jesus in the Lord's Prayer called our daily bread. He's saying God will meet our basic needs. We'll have something to eat. We'll have something to drink. We'll have something to wear. We'll have a roof over our heads. We'll have a place to sleep at night. If we seek his spiritual riches, God will also supply our physical needs. Now, the second reason that worry doesn't work is that worry makes us forget that God knows what we need. Worry forgets that God knows what we need. When we worry, we are acting like it all depends on us, all right? I have to do it all myself. We have to take care of everything ourselves. And worry makes us think then that we're in this all alone, and it forgets that God knows already everything you need. This is why Jesus says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap. Or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And again, in verses 28 and 29, And why do you worry about clothes? See, the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. So Jesus is pointing to nature as an illustration, right? Birds and animals and flowers and plants. They don't spend time worrying about the future, right? You don't see a dog sitting on the curb, its head and its paws, and he's just filled with anxiety. They manage just fine. But, oh, do we worry. And the more we worry, the more we forget about God. American mystery novelist Arthur Summers Roach once said, worry is a a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel through which all other thoughts are drained. So you may start with just a little worry, a little trickle, but slowly it begins to engulf your whole life, pushing God further and further to the edges. So instead of worrying... And forgetting that God already knows what we need, Jesus points us to a remedy. Trust in God's provision. You see, not only does God know what you need, he wants to meet those needs. Right? God cares for you. He loves you. He knows every hair of your head. No, not only does God know what you need, and does he want to meet those needs, but he has the power, the ability to meet those needs. He's able to provide. This is why Jesus reminds us that though the plants don't plant or crops don't store away in barns, the heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, when we're able to trust in God's provision, it takes away the pressure of anxiety. 
And it gives us great assurance. When they were getting ready to build the Golden Gate Bridge, one of the great fears was that they would lose dozens and dozens of lives, as this was very typical with such high-rise steel structures. But the builder decided at great cost to himself, especially in Depression-era dollars, to construct a large safety net under the bridge as it was built. Now, there were plenty of critics who said that this would create unnecessary costly delays, that it would make the whole project too costly. But the net was a tremendous success. Only a few lives were lost, much fewer than expected. It also turned out that the safety net actually saved money because laborers were able to work without the fear of falling. And with the assurance of the net, they were much more productive. They did their work more quickly and efficiently. It gave them freedom from worry. And that's how God's provision is for us. It's, it's this great safety net in life. And we can pursue the most important things in life because we know that God's provision is there supporting us. It gives us freedom from worry. Now, God's provision, and I need to be clear on this, God's provision doesn't mean that you don't have to work to provide your own needs, that you can sit back and do nothing and God will just take care of you. One of the ways in which God provides for us is by giving us the skills, the knowledge, the intelligence, and the ability to work and to be productive, all right? We get to partner with him in tending to and managing his creation. And although God provides for the birds, they still have to build nests. They still have to, to hunt for food. Jesus' point wasn't that they don't have to work. His point was they don't have to worry. Now, Jesus gives us one more reason why worry is simply a waste of time and energy. Worry doesn't work. It isn't helpful. It isn't productive. And that's the ironic thing about worry. It doesn't help the situation about which we are worried. Jesus makes this point clearly when he says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? What he's saying there is none of this worry is going to help you one little bit. There was a study on worry that found 40% of our worries never happen. 30% are concerns of the past that we can't do anything about anyway. 12% are needless health worries. 10% are petty concerns. It's not going to matter next week anyway. Only 8% of the stuff we worry about are legitimate concerns. That means most all of that stuff that you are worried about, you don't need to be worried about it. We spend so much time and energy worried about these other 92% of things that we can't do anything about that don't really matter, that we really don't do anything about the 8% that does. It's like the woman who spent her whole life just terrified of cancer. She talked about it frequently. She worried about it constantly. The slightest thing sent her trembling to her doctor, and she finally died in her late 80s of a heart attack. That's the thing about worry. Not only is worry ineffective, it makes you ineffective. The word worry comes from an old German word, which means to, to choke or to strangle. And that's what worry does to our ability to live the life that God intended. Worry has been linked to 
to all major causes of death, including heart disease, cancer, lung disease, accidents, suicide. doesn't mean that worry causes all of these things, but it can make them all worse. Anxiety can lead to depression, ulcers, irritable bowel syndrome, various skin conditions, chronic headaches, insomnia, uh, high blood pressure, digestive disorders, sexual dysfunction, among other conditions. So apparently by worrying, not only do we not add any hours to our lives, we can remove hours from our lives. So instead of worrying about things that we can't change and that we can't control, we should focus on what we can do something about. Jesus says in verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we won't have problems or troubles in life. What he's saying here is take care of what needs to be taken care of today. And then don't sweat the other stuff. You've got enough to focus on right now, right where you are. Just take care of that. Do what you should do there and let God concern himself with the rest. Today is the time that we can choose and act and make a difference. We can't control tomorrow, but you can do the best that you can today and then trust the rest to God. In this passage, Jesus offers us two ways to live. And it's up to us which we will choose. Bruce Larson illustrates this well with a story that he tells. Um, there was a time that he was ministering in New York City, and, and people would come to his office seeking counsel over one thing or another that they were worried about. And so he would, he would take them outside on a walk. And he would walk down the, the, the road there to the RCA building on Fifth Avenue. And in the entrance to the RCA building is this gigantic statue of Atlas, all right? Um, picture it in your mind, huge muscle-bound man who with all of his muscles straining is, is struggling to hold the world, the whole globe upon his shoulders. So there he is, the most powerful man in the world and he can barely stand up under the pressure of carrying the world on his shoulders. And Bruce would point to that statue and he would say, now that's one way to live, trying to carry the world on your shoulders. And then he would walk right across the street to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And behind the altar there is a statue of Jesus. And with no effort at all, He's holding the world in just one hand. And then Bruce would point to the statue of Jesus and say, or you can live this way. Let him carry the world for you. The choice is up to you. Are you trying to carry the world on your own shoulders? Are you going to let him carry it for you? Thank you. And God bless.